0: i to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me in the New Testament to the Epistle of Paul to the Church at Philippi, the book of Philippians, chapter 3. There are four chapters. We're directing your attention to chapter 3 and specifically to verse 13. Philippians, chapter 3, and verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. As, as people grow older and get into their advanced years, they're told that they must keep ap- active in order to keep healthy. They must keep active In order to keep healthy. And this, of course, this counsel comes at a time uh, when people feel both the least capable and the least motivated uh, to do so. And yet it's true, isn't it, that the sedentary uh, existence in life is one that is injurious to our, our well-being. It is with us like it is with most things in the world. If left, they degrade, even our cars and houses. If left, unattended uh, would do so. But how much more so is this the case when it comes to our souls? How much more so when it comes not to the physical well-being, but our spiritual life and, and well-being? There is in the Christian life no sitting still. There is no sedentary possibility that is available to, to the believer. Why? Because our life is more like a river than it is a road if you sit still, you're carried backward, and that you must continue to push, paddle, or swim forward against the the tide of the river in order to, to make forward movement. There is no stopping. There is no drifting without going backward in the Christian life. Well, here is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. You'll remember uh, his visit to Philippi in Acts chapter 16, the wonderful works of God through the gospel that are seen in the especially three characters that are given to us in that chapter, the work of grace and God's dealings with those in Philippi. Here he's writing to this church that he loves. And in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, by really any measure, is, is inflamed. He is, he is on fire And it is clear that he is set aflame with an overwhelming passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is infectious. It is contagious. He desires uh, that what burns within his own soul would burn within the souls of those in Philippi as well. And so he invites them and us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit inside right he gives us at the beginning of the chapter some biographical details we don't have all of these elsewhere he tells us about who he is and where he's come from in order to tell us about who he is in the present and what it is that makes him tick what what it is that controls his his heart his love his pursuits and so on and so it's in the context of all of that that we we have verse 13 one verse among many In this section and the title of our sermon is keep moving which is a imperative a command but it reflects what what we'll see um, is provided by the Lord for us in this in this particular passage there's two things we're going to note with the Lord's help this evening from verse 13 two things first of all we begin with the prize so first of all, the prize. Now you come to verse 13 and he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So I have not apprehended, he says. Now he goes on now. The word apprehended, children, means to lay hold of. Some of your margins will tell you this. To apprehend is to grasp something, to seize it, to, to lay hold of it. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I haven't laid hold of something. I haven't, haven't gained it. I haven't gotten it uh, yet. In verse 12, he uses similar language, not as though I had already attained. So there's something he hasn't already attained. But he goes on in that verse to say that I may apprehend, that I may grab a hold of it. So it's something that he hasn't gotten that he wants uh, desperately. So the question is, what, what does he wish to attain? What is it, children, that he wishes to lay hold of, but hasn't yet laid hold of? You know that he's in earnest for it because you look at the language. He says in verse 12, I follow after it, which could be translated, you know, that it's the idea of him being uh, pursuing something with vigor. So not just kind of lackadaisically following after, but I'm, I'm following after in terms of hot pursuit. I'm pursuing something with vigor. In verse 13, our text, he says, I'm reaching forth unto this. I'm stretching uh, toward it. In verse 14, he says, I press, I press toward uh, the mark. And so the question is, in verse 13, what is it, Paul? Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, to have grasped this. So what is it that he's seeking for? The answer is given to us. In verse 11, at the beginning of this section, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, my guess is most of you, if if you hadn't read this passage recently, would not have thought that was the answer to the question. But it is. The thing that he hasn't attained but desires to attain, the thing that he's seeking to grasp hold of, is the resurrection. That's what he's describing here the resurrection. The resurrection is another way of describing heaven. He's saying, I'm pressing toward what the resurrection brings with it, all that it signifies, heaven, you know, a resurrected body, a perfected soul, and so on. In other words, the culmination of redemption. The I'm pressing toward the ultimate destination, the thing I want to attain, the thing I want to grasp hold of, is the end, the finish, the, 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 the destination to which I have, have been set, the culmination of, of my redemption. That's reinforced. The answer is reinforced in the verses I alluded to earlier. In verse 12, he says, though, Not as though I have already attained, neither were already perfect. Right. Well, the idea of already being perfect would be equated with the resurrection or heaven, and so on and so forth. And he he says further in our text, verse 13, he speaks of the things which are before. The things which are still out ahead of us. The things which we're still moving toward. The things that are before us, he says. So it is. This is what he's talking about. Verse 14, the high calling. High calling indeed. It's the highest of all callings. It's higher than the skies. It's the calling that's from above. The believer's calling is from heaven, and it is a calling to heaven, unto heaven. It is the highest calling of all. And so heaven is the prize. Heaven is the prize. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling uh, of God in, in Christ Jesus. Heaven is the prize. The next question is this, what is heaven? For the believer, the answer can be given in a single word. Christ. What is heaven? It is Christ. It is to be with him where he is. It is to behold his glory. It is to have perfect, endless increasingly joyous fellowship with him in other words this whole point that's being unfolded before us in verse 13 is actually tied to what where he began in verses 8 to 10 because in verse 8 he says yea doubtless i count all things but loss for what for what paul for the excellency of the knowledge of christ jesus my lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them, but dung that I may win Christ. Right? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm hungry right now for the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want it more than anything. I will give anything. I will give absolutely everything in exchange to have more experiential knowledge and acquaintance and fellowship and communion With the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ reaches its culmination in heaven. This is what he's striving for. This is the prize. This is the ultimate gain. That insatiable appetite that he has right now to know Christ, to be near Christ, to be with Christ, to see Christ, to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That insatiable appetite right now is is fueling his pursuits which will culminate ultimately in the resurrection when he'll have to the full and beyond what he's hungry for right now but can never have right now and all of the fullness that he will have then to know even as we are known to be able to see him That is, Christ, as he is, to behold the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. To see him, to hold him, to be with him, to be found even at his feet in ways that Mary could have never imagined when she was found at his feet. Paul's point is this, his present focus is on the end. I've said this before, and I'll say it, if God spares me, I'll say it again. We begin with the end. We're always, always, always to begin with the end. For the Christian, this is what unwraps so many things in the Christian life and theology as well, and in many other compartments within biblical religion. We begin with the end. the seeing the end, is what enables us to see more clearly the present as well as, as well as the past. And so Paul is saying, my present focus is actually on the end. I haven't attained it. I haven't apprehended it yet. I, that I may apprehend it. I, I want to get to the resurrection. I want to get, by all means, to heaven. He's saying, in other words, keep your eye, believer, on the finish line. Do not lose sight of the finish line, right? It's the picture of a race. The whole language is suffused with this imagery of of a race. And he's saying the runner, when the gun goes off and he shoots out of the blocks, his eyes are glued on the finish line. As we'll see in a moment, he's not looking behind him. He's not looking above him. He's not looking at his feet. The runner has his eyes glued on the finish line all the way to the breaking of the tape. That's the picture he's saying. He's saying if you're a believer, you must keep your eye on the finish line. The present pursuit of knowing Christ leads to the attaining of it in infinite fullness. And that only comes at the end. What counts is what we get at the end. What we get at the end is Christ himself. That helps us understand then what matters now. What it is that we're to be pursuing and hungry for here and now. Now, in a sense, in a sense, in eternity, everyone gets what they wanted. Think about that. In eternity, everyone actually gets what they wanted. Or to put it another way, what they were aiming for. They get what they were aiming for. For the unbeliever, they wanted sin without Christ. They wanted sin and they didn't want Christ. In the end, they get to keep their sin. And they never have Christ as a savior. For the believer, all they've ever wanted is Christ. If you're a believer, all you want is Christ. Without sin. And in heaven, that's what the believer gets. We get Christ without sin. We, we win Christ, as he says in verse 8. That I may win Christ. He's the prize. Right? He is heaven to the believer. He's, he's the thing that we desire. And so to take that point, we need to then peel it back a little bit, don't we? Because what you want is defined and determined right now. I, I mean that literally. I mean right this second. I mean right now in this sermon. I mean right now in your life. What you want is defined and determined right now. All right? So, what are the implications? The question is this the question that you have to answer, and I have to answer before the all seeing eye of God What are your pursuits right now? What are your pursuits in this life? Honestly, what are you pursuing? What gets you up in the morning? What is it that gets you excited? What do you dream about? What is it that you're on fire about, and so on and so forth? What are your pursuits in life? The answer to that question, once discovered, that is your mark. That's your mark. That's your aim that you're pressing toward. That's the thing that you ultimately want. For the believer, the answer is heaven. The answer is Jesus Christ. That's the answer. For us to make God's aim our aim. God's aim is the magnifying of His Son. God's aim is the the glory of His Son and the redemption of sinners who are reconciled to Him and perfected in glory forever. The believer aligns their aim with God's aim to make Christ everything, to make Him the highest. To have our heart on heaven, set on heaven as our happiness. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, my heart is on heaven as my happiness. The resurrection is bliss. The resurrection is glory. The resurrection is everything one, a believer, could desire. And so one of the things we're learning from Paul, not only here, but in many other places, here autobiographically, from his own life and experience, elsewhere in his instruction, we should make the resurrection a point of daily meditation. If this is the prize, if this is the aim, if this is the end, if this is the goal, we need to get it clear in our heads and hearts. We should make the resurrection a point of daily meditation. And for the Christian there's so much good news on this point because we can meditate there's you know it is one of the most pleasurable things to meditate upon. It's not work in that sense. To bend our thoughts and to saturate our affections with all that heaven is, heaven being Christ, being with him, the glory of Christ, and so on. But you know, there's there's more than that. So we, we can meditate on, on heaven, our aim, our goal, keeping the finish line fixed in front of our gaze on a daily basis, and so on. But you know, in our earthly human experience, adults, you know this super well because you've you've done repeat. You know, rewind, repeat so many times on this point over and over and over throughout your life. Children, you're beginning to learn it as well. In our earthly human experience, the anticipation of an event is almost always more emotionally powerful than the event itself. That's the truth. The anticipation of event is almost always more emotionally powerful Than the event itself You're looking forward to getting for children You know a gift And all that anticipation is actually More powerful than than the thing when it actually Comes and this is true and you know we can As always extrapolate From that concept and apply it across The board to a lot of things in life In in general So that's, that's that's just an observation Of human experience but Here's the point The reverse is the case here The reverse is the case when it comes to the anticipation of the resurrection. Here, this stands alone. This stands as distinct from all of our human experience. Heaven will far exceed. Heaven will so far excel any and all anticipation of it. It's actually impossible for it to be otherwise however wonderful we might imagine it to be, to be without sin and with the Savior. Knowing that, knowing that here, unlike everything else in life, the anticipation is nothing. It pales in comparison to the event itself, to the resurrection itself. Knowing that keeps us moving forward. It's part of, the, it's part of what's going on in what Paul is describing here. Knowing this is what keeps the believer moving toward this end, this mark, this goal, this prize. Knowing that our daily meditation, with all of the intensified anticipation that that brings with it, falls so desperately short of what is yet to come. And so we begin, first of all, with the prize. But what does that entail? What exactly does this entail? That brings us, secondly, to the pursuit. Secondly, the pursuit. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark, and so on. Now, when we see language like this, but this one thing, it It jumps out. It it should jump out. It certainly jumps out to me. If I'm reading in reformed literature, and you know the author says, "Now here is the most important point," or "Here is the one thing you've got to understand." Boom! It it hits us like a lightning bolt. We 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 piques our interest. We're set on edge. We we pay attention closely. The same thing is true in scripture, and we see this in Psalm 27. One thing have I desired. What is it, David? Well, it's the same thing that Paul's saying here. Moses desired one thing. What was it, Moses? The same thing that David or that Paul is saying here. Right? In Moses' case, I beseech thee, show me thy glory." So it's the, same, it's the same thing. But so he uses this language. there's one thing, one thing he's after, one thing he does, forgetting what's behind, reaching forth toward what is before. So his eye is on the finish line. We've, we've gotten that point. His eye is on the finish line. But the mark, what he describes as the mark, I press toward the mark, the finish line. The mark is the finish line. It's language for the finish line. That mark is actually magnetic. So unlike in a race with a runner who has his you know sneakers on and you know, turf under his feet, nothing else, in this case, the mark is actually magnetic, if you will. In other words, the finish line has such an influence and power over us. In, 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 in God's spiritual dealings with us, it pulls. It actually draws the believer to it. Right? We're drawn to it by the work of God's grace through the spirit and so on. And so the destination determines everything. Destination determines the course in the journey. What's our pursuit? Well, the destination determines that. Right? That's, the destination is, is always, well, at least largely, the point of the journey. Right? It's the whole point of why we left the house. We're, we're headed somewhere. And so this is the case, just as on a trip you know, you're, you keep moving toward the destination. For the believer, there's this pursuit of keep moving toward the destination, toward the high calling, toward the mark, toward glory, toward the resurrection the Lord has set before us. And here, what's happening is Paul is saying the eye precedes the feet. We set our eye on it and our feet follow. Then we, we bend our body in the direction of it. You know, so if we're going to use the analogy of the runner to stick with that illustration, the runner sets his eye, glues his eye on the finish line. His feet are moving that way and his whole body is then, you know, pushed in the direction of forward, thrusting forward toward, toward that finish line. So it is for the believer. Our eye, our spiritual eye, which is fixed on Christ and glory and all that that entails is what precedes our feet, what, what guides our feet in terms of our pursuit. So he says here, forgetting what is behind. Now that's not that's not an that's not a, an unqualified concept, right? It's it's he's not saying forget everything that's behind because there's actually a sinful forgetting, right? Where, where it would be sinful to forget our mercies, or to remember the Ebenezer's the Lord's erected in the past and so on. There's a sense in which we should, it's even, uh, in one way, sinful to forget our past sins. In as much as our past blessings require present and ongoing thanksgiving, and our past sins require present and ongoing repentance. So there, there are things we're not to forget. We, we recognize that. What he's saying here is that we're, we're not to be we're not to be satisfied with the present, right? The present circumstances, our present movement, our distance that we've gone so far, our, our present attainments are insufficient. We're not to be content with previous gains in the Christian life. We're not to be content with previous attainments, how far we've come. We're not to we're not to, to become content and cozy and begin to coast in that sense. He's saying no, we're to be keep moving, we're to be pressing forward. We're to avoid all diversions, all diversions that steer us off the path. right we, In that sense we don't look backward, right? A, a sprinter does lots of things. A sprinter never is to look over his shoulder. right That's drilled into the runner's head. You never look over your shoulder. You keep your face glued. On, on the direction that you're going. So we're to avoid the diversions that steer us off, right? Because there are so many. There's a door on every direction, every step of the path that we go. Things that want to captivate and draw and, and distract us from the one thing that is most important, the thing that we're in pursuit of. And the problem is, is that these spiritual rabbit trails, spiritual rabbit trails can become ruts. And ruts in the wrong direction lead to ruin. And so he's saying, forgetting what is behind. Reaching forth. In other words, stretching. Stretching. Stretching, he's saying. I'm stretching out unto those things which are before. Earlier, he says, following after this ardent pursuit. Afterward, he says, pressing, pressing toward The mark, all of the language is woven together. You see him using, he speaks on this same theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, at the end of 1 Corinthians 9. And he uses again the imagery of a race. He says in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. It's the same theme. In one sense, there's, there's a simplicity in this. Keep moving. Don't stand still. Don't look backward. Don't go backward. Keep moving. Go. Push. Don't stop. Don't get bogged down. Don't drift into stagnation. Keep moving. The next step. One step at a time. One minute at a time. But we're to push toward the finish line. Well, all of that is easily comprehensible. But the question that you have, of course, and that I have, is what does that look like in life? We understand the concept of keep moving, but what exactly does that look like? Well, it looks like what he's, what he's been telling us in the previous verses, verses 8 and following, pursuing the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I've got an ambition And it really is pretty simple. The surpassing excellency of the the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is my great ambition. Ambition is good. We need holy ambitions, though, not worldly ambitions. I want the best thing, the highest thing. I want the excellent, the excellency of experiential acquaintance and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, this for me excels all other knowledge. So all of the other knowledge you can have, this excels everything else. This excels all other pursuits, this one pursuit. To really and truly and personally and intimately know Christ. To know him better, to know more, to see him more clearly, to be nearer to him. He says, this is it and that then works its way out doesn't it into our decisions do these decisions bring me nearer to christ or further from them from him do these decisions provide all that is necessary for the pursuit of greater knowledge of christ or less The decisions in your relationships that you choose to forge. The decisions in the the work decisions that you make. The decisions in terms of the use of your time. The use of your resources. Your physical energy. Gifts and graces. He's saying, I'm pursuing this. Right now, I'm pursuing the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus because it is perfectly in line with what I want to attain, which is the end goal. The resurrection in heaven, to have Christ, all of Christ, nothing but Christ, the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what lies behind so much of you what know, we think of as the, the spiritual disciplines and so on? Spiritual disciplines aren't a checklist, you know that much. We've hit that theme Many times. We read scripture because we want to see him. We want to know him. We want to see things we haven't seen yet. So we got, we want to read. No, it's not, we, we, we don't got to read in the terms of duty. We've got to read because of hunger pains, because of desire. We got to have family worship because we, we got to be near him. We have to be where His promised presence is. Our, our backsides have to be in the pew because the Lord's going to be in the public assembly. And He's promised to come and dwell among us and to show Himself to us and to come to us through the ordinances and so on and so forth. We pray because we're hungry. We desire things, right? It's the offering up of our desires unto the Lord. We have to pray because we're asking the Lord for more. We serve Selflessly, sacrificially, because we do it as unto him, because we have fellowship with Christ in that service. We make all sorts of sacrifices in this life, and those sacrifices are measured and chosen because of their connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. We suffer, and we do so with acquiescence because of Jesus Christ and all that it brings of him to us. And so, Paul here, you know, he, he, in verses, well, in verses really seven to through our passage, the Apostle Paul says, it's as simple as cost benefit analysis. He says, I, I actually measure the cost benefit, and I actually, what's it going to cost and what's the benefit? He says, I, I do that. I've done that. I've done that spiritually. And he says, beginning in verse 7, he says, here's here's what I've discovered. I've weighed everything in the balance. What the world counts as gain, lovers of Christ count as loss. All the stuff that the world says is gain and fantastic and beautiful and big and important and exhilarating and worth living for and pursuing and, and doing everything you can to get it. Paul says, "I've looked at it all. It's lost to me. It's loss." And then in verse eight, he says, "All things are loss. All of the world's stuff, all of its enjoyments and everything. Everything that wants to compete with the enjoyment of Jesus Christ. all things is loss." goes so far as to say you know what I've suffered the loss of all things I've actually suffered the loss of all things but here's the wrinkle I've counted it I've counted it as no loss at all I have not counted it as loss what the world would look at and say is loss I say is no loss and if that's not enough, because that just takes us back to a zero sum, right? So zero, I count it as nothing. He says, no, 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 that's not strong enough. Paul's a man of hyperbole. I can relate to Paul. He says, no, it's not just loss. L- loss is the idea of cargo that's thrown overboard. I do count it as dung. I count it as dung. Worse than loss contemptible I count all that stuff that everyone else says is gain, contemptible worse than worthless it's worse than worthless and on the flip side the apostle Paul says I will do anything I will go anywhere I will suffer anything in order to have Christ ultimately to have him in heaven but to give as much to get as much of him here and now as I can in anticipation of Christ in heaven. He's saying, I'll do anything, I'll suffer anything for this prize. This is the quintessential prize. This is the prize of all prizes. This is what all of the prizes that all of the greatest sporting events in the world have combined and multiplied by a million, this is the prize of all prizes. And in seeing what Paul is saying, we're seeing what holy desires and holy hopes look like. Now all of this, of course, is only possible if first the Lord Jesus Christ has laid hold of us. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, but I follow after if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. It begins with Christ grabbing hold of us. He lays hold of us first. He seizes us first. And then we seek to apprehend all that is found in him. We love him only, only, only because he first loved us. In other words, the logic which is flawless and all that Paul is unfolding for us here only makes sense when you can see the truth of the propositions. Only makes sense for the believer, for the unbeliever, they say, no, the, the gold and glitz and glamour and all that stuff. That's the prize. They look at Jesus Christ and they say they see no beauty in him. To behold him, to admire him. But for the Christian who is stripped of their blindness and who is given the ability to see and is given a heart rather than a stone in their breast for the believer who has been laid hold of by the Lord Jesus Christ, clear as crystal. And it is certain, it is true. And so the pursuit to keep moving, to keep moving toward the mark, to keep moving toward the finish line. But here's the rub because you and I and many of us on a lot of different occasions, it's so incredibly exhausting. And so the objection that we face You know, to be told, keep moving. It's not a a comforting message for many. Because it not only sounds exhausting, it is exhausting. And I am exhausted, you may be saying to yourself. I'm wiped. I feel as if I'm going to be washed up on the shore of eternity. Right? I am exhausted. Here again... It's helpful to remember our author. The Apostle Paul is a broken down man. It's interesting that if you're reading recently, in Philemon it wasn't too long ago, verse 9, he refers to himself as Paul the aged. But Paul was not just the I mean, this man was broken to smithereens. Physically, absolutely wrecked from every way, from every angle. All of the suffering that he went through. Emotionally, drained, wrung out, spiritually assaulted in overwhelming ways. So it's not as if Paul is like the equivalent of the energizer bunny who's saying, you know, you need to keep moving. He's one who's limping as he keeps moving forward as well. He's limping, no doubt at times crawling. So what do we do with this? What do we do with the fact that we, we have so, you know, we're, we need to keep moving, keep moving one step at a time. The power is to be found in the present enjoyment of Christ. The power is found in the present enjoyment Enjoyment of Christ not just the anticipation of the enjoyment of Christ that too is a factor. We've noted that But it's in the present enjoyment of Christ that foretaste Which sharpens the believers appetite it sharpens our appetite Enjoying him here and now enables us one more step to move our our toes just a little bit more to keep moving And pressing forward. You think of a person in rehab. Take an old person. They fall and they break their hip. They go in. They cut their leg off. They put a new hip on. And they have to go to rehab. What happens? They're hobbling, right? They have to get up on their feet. They can't put, you know, it's painful. They can't put a lot of weight on it. And so on and so forth. And yet they're told, you have to do it. You have to. It's one step at a time. You're not running a marathon. You're taking one step. And you have to take one step at a time in that recovery process. So, you, you know, that maybe is a, an image that we can relate to in terms of how we so often feel spiritually depleted, you know, unable, as it were, to to do much. Right. It's one step spiritually. We're motivated, one, by the present enjoyment of Christ. Two, we're motivated by what you will reach what you will attain, right? So we've kind of come full circle that keeping our eye fixed on the finish line, meditating on the resurrection and so on and so forth, anticipation of it, knowing that our anticipation will fall far shorter than, that it'll be far greater than what we anticipate and so on. We're motivated by what it is that we're stretching forward toward, what it is that the believer knows they will attain. We want it so badly, we can't get there soon enough. That keeps us moving. We got to get there. I got to have it. We want it. And so it's forward, forward, forward. Keep moving, the Lord says. Keep moving. Use all the means the Lord's given. Use all the resources he's given. Do it all in absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ. Draw upon his resources. Lean upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And keep moving. The fact is, my friends, as I have so often said, you're almost there. The fact is, you're almost there. It's closer than when you first believed. It's closer than when you first believed. Think of the speed of the past. How are we in July? It seems like it was just January. How is it 2023? It seems like it was just, for some of us, 2000, whatever. You, know, you think of the speed of the of the past you know for those who are who are who are in the in the doldrums in the dark places the word to you my friends is the word to all of us it won't be long now it won't be long now believe that stretch just a little further stretch just a little further. We're almost there. By the grace of God, the great desire, the love, the pursuit, the ambition, the dream of every believer is soon to come true and to excel beyond any imagination all that we anticipated. And so he says, reaching forth, Unto those things which are before. Let's stand for prayer. Most gracious and glorious God in heaven, we confess that thou indeed art the prize, thou art the glory. Lord, so often what we need is a taste, so often what we need is the scent fragrance of Christ we need we need to be carried forward o lord in the present hour by thy fellowship and revelation of thy glory to us remember us in all of our weaknesses and all of our ineptitude and in all of our failures pity us o lord as those who are made of dust and grant that this great mark the finish line would indeed be set clearly in front of us and that by the grace of god through the gospel we would be enabled to keep moving to press toward that mark we ask it in jesus name amen